For listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz. Marston, joined as always by my sublime co-host, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Happy Groundhog Day. Of course, springtime is near, according to the Staten Island Groundhog, Celeste. Ah, well, good to hear that. But first, and you know, we always start the show with a couple of quick headlines that we've been watching. And for me, speaking of the weather, it is this frightening, frightening cold front coming our way. We are seeing reports that in the next couple of days, it could feel as low as negative 15 in the New York City metro area, Long Island and northeastern Jersey, and as cold as negative 25 in the lower Hudson Valley. So please be careful out there this weekend. If you don't have to go out, don't. If you have to go out, bundle up and be careful. Also, Jeff, I was just looking at this horrible story about the death of a 30-year-old councilwoman from Sayreville, New Jersey. It's about 30 miles south of the city. Police say Eunice Dwumfor was shot multiple times in her car near her home. We're waiting to find out about a possible motive on that case. But, Jeff, it's really a shocking incident. Yeah, I agree. I heard that the governor, uh, Phil Murphy, had said that but no one can remember the last time that a sitting politician was fatally shot in the state. And if any of our listeners do recall any of that, call us later on in the show and let us know. But I mean, it's just, I was watching this at the gym this morning. It was so upsetting to hear this. I'm really curious when, what's going to happen when the facts come out, Celeste. Yeah, absolutely. It is really something that we don't hear about very often. But I mean, I do remember there have been times in uh, city history in New York state history where politicians have been targeted, uh, even right inside City Hall. I don't know if you remember that case, Jeff, but James that was Davis. Yes, yes, Councilman Davis. And that was uh, something that many of our colleagues were there for. I was not personally in the building, but the guy walked right in. And it was just, it was appalling to think about this happening. And of course, there's sort of an extra dimension. It's terrible when it happens to anybody, but when it happens to an elected official, somebody who has put themselves out there, again, we don't know the motive exactly in this case, but um, you know, something that we're going to be looking at, because I would like to know what led up to that, Jeff. I don't, anything else that you might be looking at? today. Well, you know me. It's like I'm obsessed about certain stories, and I know we're going to talk about them with our, our first guest today, so I'll hold off on that. But I've really been following what's been going on with the uh, with Mayor Adams' decision to move the folks who were at a, uh, at a hotel, the migrants who were at a hotel in Manhattan over to the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. And I don't know if you saw any of this footage, if our listeners had seen this, but overnight, starting late last night, sanitation workers were seen tossing a lot of their suitcase into a dumpster and police removing e-bikes from racks and scaffolding outside of the hotel. And they were being moved over to the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. I'm seeing different reports, Celeste. Some mm -hmm. people saying that it's good accommodations, others saying no, it is, it, it is a problem. The mayor, though, saying it's all out because of agitators. That's why it's become a big issue. It's agitators. And that meanwhile, hundreds of others have gone there without any fuss, Celeste. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really amazing. And there's so many other things going on, too, that I'm sort of trying to keep them all uh, organized in my mind. There's been uh, certainly the announcements about Nikki Haley uh, getting ready to launch her campaign for president. We've seen some numbers out there about Haley, uh, Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump. I know it's early, Jeff. I know it's no, early. No, 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 no. What, what I'm going to say to kind of tease something later on the show, we did ask yeah. one of our guests if she's going to run for president again. But you got to listen to the whole show to hear that. That is true. And that that is going to be a good segment. I hope I hope you will uh, stay with us for that. But of course, we are going to have a special guest. Uh, before that, we have a, a two guest program for you today. And this is going to be great because um, this guest, we are hoping, if everything goes according to plan, has agreed to uh, not only appear and talk to us about our questions, but to take your calls. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the program. But we know, and Jeff, you know, I think that you've you've heard this as well, or maybe you're the one who told me, who knows. But um, this is something that guests uh, sometimes agree to do, sometimes don't. We ask guests now regularly, but this is something that listeners have specifically told the station that they want and have told us on the air 
Jeff that they want as well. Yeah, and I, I believe it was a show or two ago where someone had brought it up. I mean, the challenge being sometimes because you, me, the engineer Reggie, and the guests are all in different locations, so it can be complicated. But uh, but you know, we're making it happen, and I really do like it when the guests take calls from listeners, hear directly from them. Uh, so one other thing I just wanted to bring up is the um, the poll that came out uh, by, uh, yesterday by Quinnipiac Celeste because that touches uh, it talks about the mayor's record and these are things that are going to come up during the show, but it talks about the mayor's approval rating and how it really has dropped that majority of the voters, Celeste, 70% think it is a crisis for New York city that more than 40,000 migrants seeking sanctuary have arrived here since last year, more than six in 10 voters. And that's 63% do not think the city has the ability to accommodate the migrants that are seeking sanctuary and 82% of voters think the federal government has a responsibility to help New York City with the migrants that are seeking sanctuary here. Yeah, that's that's absolutely something that and I think we've talked about that here on the program. And uh, that's something that, again, we could have a whole program on that. And uh, before we get to our first guest, of course, Jeff, and this is something that we always like to take a couple of moments. Our next guest is going to be joining us in about uh, a few minutes. But before we get to that, listen, if you care about independent media, if you care about having these important discussions about crime, about the migrant crisis, about public health, about public safety, uh, about taxation, about health care, all the things that we regularly talk about here on Driving Forces, then please, please take a moment today. Go to WBAI.org and you have two great, great options. We like them both. One is you can support the Tower Fund. Remember, it costs us $17,000 a month to stay on the air just in regards to the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square, $17,000 a month. So we have actually a brief uh, message that we put together about why it's so important to support the tower fund. And we are going to listen to that message right now. No matter what this new year brings, we want you to know that you can count on WBAI to be your go-to for independent, non-commercial free speech programming. Join the WBAI family and keep community radio alive by supporting the Tower Fund. Just go to WBAI.org. That's WBAI.org. Here at WBAI, we want to keep bringing you the best shows on politics, news, arts, music, and culture. To do that, we need your help. It costs us $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at Four Times Square. Every dollar you give to the WBAI Tower Fund helps keep your favorite radio station on the air. Go to WBAI.org to help today. Please don't wait to give as generously as you can. You know these times are too important. It only takes a minute to help. Just go to WBAI.org and click. Unlike living in New York, it is that easy. WBAI has spoken up for New Yorkers for more than 60 years. Now... It's time to speak up for WBAI. Go to WBAI.org to support radio you can trust. Give to WBAI. Be heard. And welcome back to Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. And as always, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your co-host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. And just if you listen to that segment just a brief moment ago, you should know if you would like to donate now, you can get a special gift. We got it lined up by our guests of a few weeks ago, Graham Raymond and Ruvane Blau. These are esteemed journalists who have a book that just came out called Rikers, an oral history told through the voices of people who've been incarcerated, through people who used to work at Rikers. It's an unbelievably gripping book, and it, the New York Times raved about it. We got five copies from the publisher, Penguin Random House, and from Graham and Ravane. And so if you call now or you go online to WBAI.org and you donate at or you can call it 212-209-2950. You donate $50, say you want that book, and you will be able to get it. We got five copies for you from the authors. 
And we're going to jump right into our talk today with our first guest, who has kindly also agreed to take your calls, as many as we can get in, a little bit later in the program. But we're going to start right now with a conversation here about what's going on in our state government. Amy Paulin has represented the 88th Assembly District in Westchester since 2001, and she is the newly minted chair of the Assembly Committee on Health, which is why we're so excited to have her on the program today. She also serves on the Rules and Education Committee. She's originally born and raised in Brooklyn, and she has worked on a lot of issues during her time in the legislature, including government reform, children's issues, and preventing gun violence. Assemblymember Amy Pollan, welcome to WBAI. Yes, thank you so much. We wanted to jump right in. We're really excited to have you on the program in general, but specifically because you've just taken on this hugely, hugely important new role as the chair of the Health Committee. And just wanted to know, first of all, why did you want the job? <laughs> Uh, well, I've always been interested in this. I've done a lot of legislation uh, in the health space and uh, worked and been on the committee uh, for almost the entire time I've been in the legislature. So I've always found it a very exciting, uh, relevant, important uh, area. And so I, when it was open, uh, it was uh, something that I did want to do. Great. And, you know, there's so many things that we can ask you about in terms of health care. One thing that I have been watching uh, for a while and thinking about, wanted to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, New Yorkers have been struggling for a very, very long time with some of the highest prescription drug costs in the country. What, what do you think the state legislature can do uh, or should already be doing to help people deal with that burden? Well, the, um, you know, prescription drugs is not just uh, and the cost of prescription drugs is not just limited to New Yorkers. You know, it's really a, a countrywide problem. Uh, and, you know, certainly if there are innovative approaches in other states, I'd very much want to hear about that. But I do think that, you know, we need to talk, I would need to talk to my colleagues around the country to see what we could do, you know, uh, communally. Because, you know, as I said, it's not just limited to New York, uh, there are uh, enormous costs for all of the, uh, you know, the, the drugs, especially ones that are, you know, for acute care. And Assemblymember, it's great to have you back on. I know you and I had talked a while ago, and I believe we had talked about single-payer health care. This is an issue that your predecessor, Dick Gottfried, had pushed for quite some time. You know, this is going to be difficult to carry that mantle. Let our listeners know, because they've asked us in the past to please focus on this issue, what they can expect to you, from you on this issue moving ahead. Uh, I am planning on uh, sponsoring the legislation uh, going forward uh, to carry on Dick's uh, passion. I have the same passion. You know, I believe it is a great option, uh, an important one provide accessible, affordable health care. You know, currently we have a lot of opposition from the uh, public employment unions, and we need to work through that. Um, you know, they raise points that are valid, and we, um, uh, I know that Dick has offered them some language to see if we can get together on, you know, some the, uh, and move forward. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing from them and uh, hoping that we can uh, figure this out together. So there's an issue, an issue assembly member that I've been talking with Celeste about that I've just been fascinated about ever since uh, I, the there was a big magazine piece in the New York Times Sunday magazine a few weeks ago uh, uh, on what's called natural organic reduction or human composting. Uh, at one point, it was called the hot new thing in death care. Uh, for people who are not familiar with this, I'd love for because this just passed in New York State, made, made New York the sixth state to do this since 2019. Can you first just tell our listeners a little about what this law will allow in New York State? Yes, I, I think it's going to become the wave of the future. I, I think that um, uh, it is the environmentally best way to deal with human remains and also for families to preserve uh, the memory of their loved one in a very meaningful way. It is, when I first heard about it, like I'm sure many of the listeners right now are 
hearing about it. They're thinking, what are we talking about? You know, what we do now is bury people and we cremate them. And uh, both are not very friendly environmental options. And I, you know, I for one, you know, both of my parents are buried at a cemetery in New Jersey. I never get there. Um, uh, it's nice that, that you know, I, I can, when I do, I can see the, the, the monuments. I know they're somewhere. Um, the truth of the matter is that their bodies by now are disintegrated, and there's likely um, a, a big mound of dirt in those coffins. Uh, and so what we're talking about, this now third option that's legal in New York, is instead of taking the, the body and putting formaldehyde on, which contaminates the earth and putting it underground in a very large space in a very large coffin, uh, they would go uh, and we would above ground let the bodies disintegrate like they do below ground, but without the formaldehyde, so it's more natural. And then if the family chose to still put the remains in a coffin, the coffin would be smaller, the space would be smaller, so it's less expensive. And or if they decided to take those same remains, because they are in the form of a compost or dirt-like uh, uh, substance, they could plant a tree. They could take the remains, just like they would cremated remains, but without the carbon released to the air. Uh, they could take those remains and spread them around their property, put them in a certain spot, um, and, and have a memory uh, that's very, very close to where they are. They can look out the window. This is what I'm imagining. You know, I can look out the window and see someone I loved in the form of a tree. You know, see someone I loved in the form of a vegetable garden uh, and, um, and preserve their memory close to me and preserve their memory in an environmentally sound way. So... And as I said, you can still do the cemetery option, but you won't have the formaldehyde in the ground, and you'll be taking up less space. So it's simpler, it's cheaper, and it's environmentally friendly. So I think in the, in the next 20 years, we're going to see most families opt for this. That's what I believe. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. We're talking to State Assembly Member Amy Pollan, who's the new chair of the Assembly Health Committee. And now, as promised, we would like to hear from you. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. If you have questions about health care or about other issues that uh, the Assembly Member will be working on in this session, give us a call. 212 we will get to as many of you as we can if you keep your questions brief. And um, Assembly Member, just want to stay on that for one moment because this really is a fascinating issue. I know that the bill has already passed, excuse me, into law, has been written into law, but uh, you probably have talked to a lot of people who came up with some objections about allowing human composting, religious objections, I think particularly, maybe other objections. Can you talk about how you're going to move ahead now that the bill is law and and still, you know, try to find some middle ground with people who object to the idea. There's really, uh, like any, um, this is a choice. There's nothing at this point. Uh, anybody who doesn't want to do it had an objection, which we didn't really hear that many objections. You know, they, it was really from one religious community, um, the Catholic community. Uh, and if the Catholic Church doesn't want to condone this type of um, uh, dealing with uh, family remains, then, then you know, someone who's Catholic would have that option not to do it. I think they're going to, frankly, change their minds, just like cremation initially the Catholic Church was opposed to and now has embraced it. So I do think there'll be a, a shift once we see it's not as bad. You know, the concern was that we'd be able to, uh, that, the, that the body would be uh, severed, right? That's the main concern. And, frankly, that's a concern I would have even more so with cremation. So, so I think that over time we're going to see the religious community embrace it, and uh, and especially if um, members of the Catholic faith want to uh, do this, the Catholic Church is going to have to revisit it. But that's really the only option, the only thing we've heard 
And, um, and again, it's a choice. You know, it would be my choice if I wanted to do it, to, to use that option. It's your choice. Uh, and if somebody is devoutly Catholic and the Catholic Church hasn't embraced it yet, then that's a different choice. So I don't know that there's really anything to do. It's law in New York State. It's going to move forward and give, again, most people the option to, um, uh, to, to, to deal with their loved one in a very humane, environmentally friendly way. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Assembly Member Amy Pollan about health care issues in the state. The phone lines are open for you to call. That number is 212-209-2877. Once again, 212-209-2877. Let's get to the first call. Reggie's going to patch that person through. Welcome to WBAI. You're on the air. What is your name and what's your question for the Assembly Member? My name is Brooke, and I'm calling from Brooklyn. Uh, thank you, Assemblymember Pollen. I have a question about the Medicaid pharmacy carve-out to be implemented on April 1st. Uh, this move would cause delays in accessing life-saving medication, disruptions in care for millions of Medicaid recipients, and annually strip $260 million from safety net health providers like my organization, Alliance for Positive Change. Uh, is the legislator committed to protecting vulnerable New Yorkers to rely on the safety net by repealing the carve-out and working on a compromise that protects patients and providers? Okay, thank well, you very I'm much for your call. Very, um, in, I certainly want to make sure we do that. Um, and as the chair, I am going to be pushing um, us to preserve 340B and um, and the monies uh, that, that are a part of that because otherwise we're going to disrupt health care in New York. Um, uh, you know, for example, neighborhood health centers often use that money for the dental health mobile um, facilities, and uh, they wouldn't be able to do that. So we, we must uh, shore up our uh, most vulnerable, and uh, 340B is uh, one of the ways we've been able to do that. We're talking to State Assembly Member and Health Committee Chair Amy Paulin. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. This is Driving Forces. We're going to go back to the phones right now. WBAI, what's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. And I really want to appreciate, uh, especially the Assemblywoman, for taking calls. Okay. What's your question briefly, and then we'll let her answer. Certainly. Um I'd like to know uh, what we what the public needs to do in order to get the New York State Health Care Act passed and how we can do outreach to help the Assemblywoman raise funds for WBAI. That's a, that's a great question. Thank you for those two questions. Really appreciate your call. Uh, Assemblymember, maybe we want to take the health care question first. Sure. Um, so I, I think that, you know, just, frankly, coming on this show and saying you're for the New York Health Act and spreading that word around and, uh, you know, helps us a great deal to keep the momentum community. Um, and that's probably what you can do uh, best right now. Okay, great. And continuing with the phones, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. WBAI, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Lisa. I'm calling from Nourishelle. Um, thank you, Assembly Paulus. She always comes to our NAACP meetings. Um, so one th- the couple of things. Um, I love the idea of this um, burial, more green burial of our family members. We'll definitely be looking forward to that. Two other things is um, my aunt, she's elderly, and the Medicare program that she was on, Feel Well, um, really, you know, they, they transferred her over from regular Medicare to the seal well, telling us it would be better, but it was, I guess, an HMO, and it was like an Advantage plan, and it was awful. It was like pretend coverage. And the, the thing that I need to hear is, like, we need to figure out how to communicate because you're bombarded by these programs and even the MLTC that she was a part of is the one that encouraged us to switch over. And even though they ensured us that we would not, nothing would be different, everything was different. So that was one. The second thing is my mom, she's elderly also, and what happened with her was when she retired, she didn't know that she could get um, 
prescription coverage. If she went into an HMO, which means she leaves Medicare. Mm-hmm. So, and then if you get prescription coverage for no pay, which sounds like the government is paying these HMOs to give prescription coverage, why don't you give the members prescription coverage directly? Because now she's fined for the rest of her life $26 a, a, a month for not having prescription coverage for like the first 10 years because she knew nothing about it. Okay. So Thank you very much. I really appreciate changed. your questions, and we'll, we'll let the assembly member answer now. Assembly member, sure. if you'd like I to. think that we can do a much better job educating um, our, our constituents and our, every, our residents, you know, when they uh, reach the age to go on to Medicare. You know, Medicare, as you know, is a federal program, but the state can certainly do more education. I find it confusing myself. You know, um, I think that insurance is one of those areas where uh, it doesn't matter what your um, your degree is in or how educated you are. It's confusing. And and as you say, it, it could have um, serious financial and health impact on people. So um, uh, we need to do a much better job uh, educating uh, our our residents on what choices they have. I know that some of the um, uh, senior homes, you know, I don't, you know, the, the senior um, gatherings, you know, around Westchester. I know you said you were from New Rochelle. Um, you know, have brought in people to do that, but we need to do we, again. It needs to be constant. Uh, you, we are constantly. Um, uh, there's new populations every year, right, um, that are facing these uh, questions. And, you know, we need to do a better job. Um, um, thank you for raising it. And we are speaking with New York State Assembly Member and Health Committee Chair Amy Paul. And we have time for one more very brief question. Very brief. We're going to go back to the phones for this last question. WBAI, what's your name and where you're calling from? Yes. My name is Dr. Don Dason. I'm calling from Manhattan, Harlem. You know, I'm a primary care physician and a member of Physicians for a National Health Program. You know, I was asking Assembly um, um, Member Paul, and uh, thank you for your help. And uh, uh, Dick Godfrey, uh, when he had his New York Health Program um, in uh, 2014, there was a, a calculation showed that New York State would save um, $45 billion, that's what it would be, if we had New York Health. And now um, the California um, uh, push for uh, Medicare for All in California, they have a calculator that shows that how individuals can save uh, money if they use, if we, if California had a Medicare-only program. Do you know in this push for this new um, program, now that we have a democratic trifecta, um, will you be able to push the democratic leadership to see uh, how much money people would save in New York State if we had Medicare for all with the New York Health Act? I do Thank you, Doctor, for your question. Right. Assembly you know, member. going to save money, and we do need to get some very accurate data to be able to persuade the people who are not for it um, that well, uh, Assemblymember Amy Paul, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here today to talk about all these issues and to speak directly to the people. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Well, they certainly um, can follow us. You know, um, there's a, if they Google New York State Assembly, uh, I'm one of the members of that. They can certainly find information about the Health Committee on there. Uh, as well as um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, you know, um, it's easy to find me. Thank you so much, Assembly Member and Health Committee Chair Amy Pollan. Really appreciate you joining us today here on WBAI. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. A very, very quick reminder as we take on all these important issues today, if you care about New York, if it means something to you to have a radio station that talks about how to make this city and the state a better place, please take a moment today. 
go to WBAI.org and lend your support. We are going to take a very short break right now, which makes it a great time to go to WBAI.org and show your support. And after the break, we'll be right back for our interview with United States Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Don't go away. And don't forget, you are listening to WBAI. Welcome back to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my amazing co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. We thought we'd give you a little Smiths to bridge the two segments in this show today. Remember, we're always streaming live at WBAI.org. So our next guest, we're going to get right to her. Our next guest, it took some time for us to book, but we are glad that we did because in our taping earlier today, we were able to ask her about a lot of the issues that matter to New Yorkers like you. Kirsten Gillibrand first entered electoral politics back in 2006 when she ran for the House. In 2009, then-Governor David Patterson appointed her to the Senate seat that had been vacated by Hillary Clinton when she moved to the office of Secretary of State. Senator Gillibrand then won the office in her own right in a special election in 2010, and during her time in the Senate, she's worked on a range of issues, including sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military and improving government transparency. She also sought the Democratic nomination for president in the 2020 election cycle. Let's take a listen to what she had to say. Senator Gillibrand, welcome to WBAI. I want to jump right in. You rolled out an initiative advancing a national paid family and medical leave program yesterday. Tell us what you want to do and why you want to do it. We are the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't have a national paid leave plan. And if we learned any lesson from COVID, 
we saw that women had to leave the workforce in droves because someone had to be with their children to learn how to uh, Zoom online, to be able to learn uh, remotely. And it was so disruptive to the economy because there was no safety net. Uh, men and women need the ability to step back from their work uh, to be able to deal with family emergencies, whether it's a new baby, whether it's a sick child, whether it's a pandemic that closes all the schools, or whether it's a dying parent. Uh, this could have kept our economy open. It could have kept people employed. Five million women lost their jobs. That was a huge hit on our economy. And not all of them are, are back at work reemployed because the child care situation hasn't rebounded. So focusing on paid leave as a social economic engine to be able to keep people in the workforce, paying into their social security, paying their taxes, not having to leave the workforce to meet those family needs. It's good for families. It's good for the economy and it's good for the U.S. competitiveness. Just a quick follow up to that. Who's your main opposition on this? What are you, uh, what are you doing to get past those obstacles? So right now, paid leave is overwhelmingly supported by the American people. Over 70% of Americans support a national paid leave plan. Even 50% of white male, over 50% of white male Republicans support paid leave. So this is something that is bipartisan. It is universally supported. It is something that uh, states that have had it have shown it really helps the economy. In California, for example, who's had a paid leave plan for more than, um, which has had a paid leave program for more than 10 years, uh, 90% of businesses said it had no negative impact on their bottom line or a positive impact. And 99% of businesses said that it is, uh, it's helped retention and morale. So in Congress, uh, we're just trying to find some Republican allies right now that can embrace this idea of paid leave to make sure it's a robust benefit up to 12 weeks for all life events, gender neutral. And so far we have Republicans that support that framework. Uh, the real challenge is just deciding how to pay for it and who's eligible and whether it's mandatory or states have to opt in or individuals have to opt in. Um, my vision for paid leave is a national plan that's universal that everyone buys into just like social security. That is not, that frame is not a bipartisan frame yet. So I need to figure out what version of paid leave Republican sport. And I'm dedicated to doing that in this Congress. Senator Gillibrand, we want to talk a little bit now about New York State and New York City specifically. Uh, people continue to talk about public safety, gun violence, crime rates came up prominently in Mayor Adams' State of the City speech. A new Quinnipiac poll out this week says that concerns about crime in the city are near the highest levels that they've been since 1999. Voters are not giving the mayor great marks on homelessness or crime. What do you think he should be doing differently now to address these problems? Well, public safety is a huge issue for my constituents in New York. Um, people across the state really want to make sure that public uh, officials understand that uh, getting crime down is their priority, getting public safety restored is their priority, and they want public servants to understand the nuance of what the challenges actually are. And I think that's something that certainly Congress is doing right now. Democrats have done. President Biden has done. Uh, first of all, we just passed the first ever gun trafficking bill. I've been working on that bill for 12 years, uh, over 12 years. When I first was appointed in 2009, it was one of the first bills I wrote um, to make sure gun trafficking was a federal crime. Because when I met with the police commissioner at the time, Commissioner Kelly, and I met with the mayor at the time, and I met with the uh, activists who were trying to end gun violence, all of them said, these guns are trafficked in from out of state. They're sold directly to criminals. There's no chance of a background check. And they are the reason why you have a four-year-old uh, being hit by a stray bullet on a park bench in Brooklyn and dying. It's why the young girl, Niaja Pryor Yard, who I named the bill after, was killed by a stray bullet when she was out with her friends uh, getting ready to graduate from high school and on her way to UPenn. That's the story over and over again. And so we just passed that bill, signed it into law by President Biden. And I met with the ATF and said, you need to start prosecuting. He said, I've got two that I could prosecute. He's already prosecuted four traffickers and taken 50 guns off the streets of Brooklyn because of that new law. So we are taking public safety seriously. I've done trafficking events with Mayor Adams. He understood how important that tool was to get that across the finish line um, and giving law enforcement more tools to crack down on uh gangs, uh, gun crime, and uh, violent crime within our city. 
And the second thing is mental health and homelessness. Um, this has been a huge driver of some of the public safety incidents that people I know have experienced, uh, mental episodes on the subway, uh, mental episodes of, of homeless people on the streets. Um, Post-COVID, our economy has not fully recovered, and there's a lot of dislocation. People lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They lost access to the mental health or health care that they were receiving. And so that's created massive disruption in our public safety. So focusing on uh, ending homelessness, um, a, a better plan to uh, build affordable housing around the city and the state. It's something the governor shares. Uh, she's very focused on affordable housing right now and increasing um, public services for mental health. Now, part of our federal gun bill had billions of dollars for mental health to do violence disruption. So I've met with the mayor, I've met with the governor, I've met with our not-for-profits, our faith leaders, and said, you must apply for this money because there's billions of dollars available for any violence disruption program that deals with mental health challenges. So whether you're you know, catching a, a young um, disengaged shooter uh, soon to be uh, from stopping violence uh, because you've prevented him from falling through the cracks or whether you are making sure a young kid who has nothing to do after school or in the summer doesn't join a gang and actually has the support and the mental health he or she needs to thrive, those programs can be funded. And so as this money begins to flow, these are resources that Mayor Adams, Governor Hochul has access to, to address the biggest proponents of, of, of uh, crime and a lack of safety in our communities, mental health, homelessness, um, lack of affordable housing, and the ready available of illegal guns on the streets. And so we're doing something about it. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Our guest is Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Want to just jump in with a quick follow-up question. Uh, you mentioned the governor uh, yesterday. One of the more polarizing issues is bail reform. She wants to give judges more discretion in setting bail. What's the right direction? I think our judges can easily um, have the right discretion to judge whether someone uh, should not be released into a community because of their record, because of uh, their behavior, because of specific facts in this individual's background that make the risk of violence um, higher. They are trained to have this discretion. And I understand that some legislators are worried about um um, some judges not being uh, well-trained in racial bias. Well, we can train judges. Uh, we train lawyers. They have to do CLE training every year. Um, lawyers are accustomed to updating and getting more training often. So if there is a real concern about bias amongst the judiciary, we should train them and make sure there is no bias and no unconscious bias. But I trust judges to use their judgment and discretion on what's best for public safety. Senator, your announcement that you are running for re-election has fueled some speculation that you might face a primary challenge from somebody like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Richie Torres. How do you feel about a possible primary? Uh, well, I intend to run on my record. Um, I've had one of the most prolific uh, Congresses in my 12 years uh, in the Senate. Um, we passed not only my gun trafficking bill that we talked about, but we passed the military sexual assault bill I've been working on for about a decade, uh, finally making the prosecution of crimes of sexual assault, sexual harassment, murder, other related violent crimes. They are coming outside the chain of command, going directly to trained military prosecutors who are independent of the chain of command and independent of the victim or the accused uh, chain of command to do more professional uh, work. Uh, that will reform the military that passed. We had a similar bill to change how uh, we protect workers in the workplace to make sure they could sue in a court of law, not have to go to mandatory arbitration, not have to sign non-disclosure agreements so they can sue and speak out openly. Uh, we passed my bill to uh, help veterans who were exposed to burn pits, um, who were de being denied health care despite having to fight in the war on terror and all across the globe over the last 30 years, exposed to horrible toxins, giving them cancers very similar to the 9-11 uh, sur survivors uh, who also received those or also um, contracted those same cancers. And so 
I get a lot done. And um, that plus a huge agenda for the farm bill this year for food security, a huge agenda for the aging community, a master plan on aging, a big agenda for paid leave, affordable daycare, uh, universal pre-K. I can run on my record. So uh, if I do have a primary, I'm prepared for that because I think I've gotten the job done for New Yorkers and I have a lot left I want to do. But I'd also like to say I have a great relationship with Alexandria and Richie and other members of our delegation. I also have great relationships with our assembly members and state senators and city council members. And so uh, while I cannot predict the future, uh, I feel like I've built very good relationships and work very well with members of our delegation. And I know we only have about a minute or so left. I, all three screens at my gym this morning were once again on George Santos. So I've got to ask you, what do you think should happen with Congressman George Santos? Well, obviously, there's some serious, very serious allegations about his campaign, how it was financed, um, allegations about um, other possible criminal activity. Um, those are being investigated by law enforcement. That's their job. They have to do that. We, we leave that to them. We want due process. That is appropriate. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, this individual uh, is up for election in a year and a half. So uh, if, if law enforcement does not find wrongdoing, um, my job as a Democrat is to find the best candidate to run against him and then run a campaign on his record, <laughs> what he has said and, and not said and what is true and what is not true, um, as well as, um, you know, sharing a vision for what we're trying to accomplish for Long Island and the state on the issues people care about, on public safety, on health care, on education, on jobs. And so uh, we'll take it back to the voters. The voters ultimately will decide and um, they have the power to do so. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, one more question for you before we let you go. Uh, you probably get this a lot, but uh, having experienced uh, running for president of the United States once, is that something that you would be interested in trying again or, or that you can rule out right now? Where are you on that? Well, I'm 100 percent ruling it out for 2024 because I'm running for reelection and I'm very excited to serve in the Senate um, and continue the great work that I've been able to do with Senator Schumer and our delegation uh, over the last um, 12 years. So I feel privileged to serve in the U.S. Senate and I want to continue to serve. Anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about you, about what you're working on right now? Just that um, I've spent a lot of time traveling the state doing town halls and doing roundtables and listening. Um, I really pride myself on putting our constituents first and trying to make sure that their voices are the first I hear uh, to serve them and to make sure I'm getting the work done that they want done. And so we'll be continuing town halls around the state, and I look forward to seeing our constituents in person. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was our talk with United States Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. It took some time. We were able to get her on the show. We hope to have her back on the show soon. Hopefully next time, like most of our guests were asking now, hopefully she'll be able to appear live and take some questions because we know that is something our listeners enjoy engaging with our elected officials. In the meantime, before we go in the final few minutes, Celeste and I want to remind you, that WBAI can only bring you guests like this from the worlds of politics and public policy, culture, music, the arts, and so much more with your help. So please go ahead, take just a moment today to support this station by going to WBAI.org and make a pledge to support our Tower Fund or the BAI Buddies program. That is what I am. I always enjoyed doing this because I know every month I am supporting WBAI with $15 or $25. It goes right on my credit card. And with the $25 donation, you become a WBAI member as well. So if you tuned in, by the way, to our program recently, we had a great conversation. We talked about this earlier on the show with two reporters, Graham Raymond and Ruvain Blau, about their acclaimed new book, Rikers, an Oral History, just out from Penguin Random House. And a few lucky people who support the, the BAI Buddies program with a gift of $50 or more in the name of this show, Driving Forces, you can get a copy of this amazing book as a special thank you gift. Please, please help support independent media and get a spectacular new book about one of the most controversial jails in our country's history. Go to WBAI.org and lend your support to Free Speech Radio today. 
remember, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are not supported by big corporations. We don't get big checks from big business. We rely on you, regular New Yorkers who care about this city, who care about free speech independent media. Please just go to WBAI.org today. Click the green button, support the BAI Buddies program. You know, if if you give just $25, you become a member of the station. That means that you can have a role in votes that determine the future of WBAI, determine the future of free speech, independent media in New York. I think we've all read a lot about how local news, local journalism is really suffering in these economic times, taking a really hard hit But just think about it. We talk about things on this program that you don't hear anywhere else. If you look at the wide array of all different kinds of programs we have on this station, those are things that you will not find anywhere else. You will not find these kinds of stories in the newspapers that you see on the rack when you're headed to the train. You will not hear them on other radio stations. Go to WBAI.org today and make your pledge. You can become a member of the station. You can give in any amount you want or even better, you can go to the BAI Buddies program and get uh, signed up for a recurring donation in any amount you choose. It comes right out of your credit card every month. Very quickly, just say you want to support driving forces. And again, as Jeff said, for your gift of $50 or more in the name of this show, you can get a copy of this amazing book, Rikers and Oral History, out right now from Graham Raymond and Ruvane Blau, two people that we were very lucky to have on this program recently. And they spoke very movingly, Jeff, I thought, about their work in putting together that book. We know that Rikers is something that people who listen to WBAI know about, think about, care about. This is an opportunity to dive even further and learn more about this notorious, notorious prison that we have been talking about closing for years, but of course is still open. And I know we've got to close the show in about a minute or two, but I want to also remind our listeners about the topic that I was going to bring up, and I knew you'd bring it up too, which is really everyone in the next few days bundle up. We're in for a really rough weather as far as freezing conditions. I don't know if they're calling it a polar vortex. I've seen the story saying it's an Arctic front coming from Canada. Let's blame Canada. And uh, so please bundle up. And like Celeste and me, if you've got pets, Please don't take them out for a long time. Bundle them up, too. Absolutely. So just one more reminder, of course, before we go until next time, that you can support the WBAI Tower Fund by going to WBAI.org. It does cost us $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square. We are trying to get our financial house in order. We are trying to keep our signal strong and vibrant 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Please go to WBAI.org and lend your support to Free Speech Radio today. We want to thank our special guests, New York State Assembly Member and Health Committee Chair Amy Pollan and United States Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Thanks for engineer Reggie Johnson and special thanks as always to you, our listeners and our callers. If you missed any part of today's program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz, Marston and Jeff Simmons. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming and see you on the radio.